session six, the mission of the church. And to ask the question of mission, I think uh, we're asking a bunch of questions, but the primary question I want to ask you all is if I was to ask you, what is the mission of the church? What would you, what would you say to that? If I was to ask you that question, what is the mission of the church? Share the gospel. Yeah, the Great Commission. Take the gospel to all ends of the earth. Yeah. Teaching them to obey Jesus. I like that. Rooted in Scripture, the Great Commission. Uh, if you're uh, if you come to Rua, uh, our Sunday night gatherings, we read the Great Commission every single Sunday because we want to be reminded of the fact that this is literally the reason we exist on earth as a church. God says, uh, Jesus says this. He says, um, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The mission of the church, Jesus himself gives to the church. No church, no existence of Christian community ever gets to redefine that mission into anything else. Now I want to be clear about this as well. What this does not mean is that the only thing that the church can ever do in society is make disciples. The church can also do charity. The church can also do mercy ministry. The church can also seek to make sure that people are adopted and well taken care of, that the poor are taken care of, that people are fed, even within their fellowship and even in the community broadly. But none of those things are the mission of the church. The church does those things because we have a heart of God and a heart for the nations. We do not do those things because we think that somehow by doing those things, we have accomplished our goal on earth. That's where the danger is. The danger is in saying that these other good things that are good to do are the very means and reason why the church exists. Because to buy into that is to buy into a kind of false gospel. Because remember, Jesus' mission is to save sinners unto himself. And when Jesus sends his disciples out and all of his uh, disciples out into the world, he tells them to be his witnesses in all the world. He does not say, be my social advocates and change power structures. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, go and be my witnesses. Tell people what I have done and tell them what the cross is all about. Tell them the sin that they're in. Tell them that they need salvation. That is a consistent through line in all of scripture. You remember at the, uh, at the end of Romans, in the last couple of chapters, Paul says that he has fulfilled his mission and he's, he's proud of that. He's saying he's done it. But Rome still has slavery. Rome still has oppression. Rome still doesn't have women who vote. So Paul could not possibly have accomplished his mission if it was a social ambition. But if he was, his mission was to make disciples and plant churches, he absolutely can say he's accomplished his mission. So even Paul understands his mission to have been completed, not in the changing of social structures or the disrupting of hierarchies. Christians can't even vote in that government. He's, he's saying his mission is completed by the expansion of the gospel and the making of disciples. So, what is the gospel? These are all scriptures that are worth referencing when we talk about what is the gospel. If you'll permit me to summarize, and again, you can check them there, you can check them with any other scripture uh, in, in the Bible, and you can examine the things I'm about to say to you. The gospel is exclusively the life, work, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for sinners so that all fallen humanity who believe on Christ's name can be redeemed to God. That is the gospel. Paul says to the church in Corinth, I believe, I deliver to you what I received as a matter of first importance, that Christ Jesus was died, buried, and rose again on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And he says that's the gospel. 
That is the gospel. To insist that that is the gospel is not a narrow view of what the gospel is. That is the gospel according to scripture. Now the gospel, the term evangelion in scripture, I, I try not to use uh, the Greek text or anything like that to, to throw, uh, I don't know, intellectual authority around or anything like that. But the gospel, it, it just means the good news. And there are other senses in which the good news is talked about in scripture beyond that use of the gospel. What this does not mean is that the gospel is Jesus dieth on the cross, believing in that, and we can be saved through other means as well. What he's saying is the, the good news of the kingdom that flows out of the reality of the cross and the redemption of humanity has more expansion than just personal people being saved from their sins. What it also has in view is the whole fallen creation being restored back to God. So for example, in Luke 4, uh, 18 and 19, Jesus says that he comes to liberate the oppressed and to proclaim liberty to the captives. What he's not saying is that the gospel is that captives be liberated and the oppressed be set free. What he is saying is that his message of salvation is so powerful that you can be set free of anything that is, is real in your life. Any circumstance, you can, be, you, can, you can deal with it because the ultimate problem that you have, your sin against God, has been dealt with. So the good news of the gospel expands into the kingdom of God, it expands into the human flourishing that we are to expect in the life to come. But none of those are things that we do in this lifetime and that we say that we are somehow doing the gospel or we are somehow creating the kingdom here on earth. We are called to be witnesses to the kingdom, but the kingdom is something Jesus builds. The kingdom is something God is bringing forth as a reality on earth. Paul watered, Apollos planted, but Christ gave the growth. Or maybe it's Apollo watered and Paul planted, Apollos watered, and Christ gave the growth. I'm infallible. Check the scripture yourself. <laughs> What's important to note here uh, is, is a few things. One is that if we, if we have a conversation with someone and they say, well, this is a gospel issue. We, we want to be charitable about what, what someone means when they say that. What is tempting to do and what you might be inclined to do is to make that a first tier issue that someone has violated the very means by which salvation is accomplished. And if that's what they have meant, then they might have violated that. But you want to be charitable because what someone can mean when they say that this is a gospel issue is that the reality of the gospel and the cross of Jesus Christ says that we ought to be more charitable than we're being right now. That is possible. But if they're saying that by being charitable, we earn salvation or we prove the fruits of salvation, that is not the case. So we want to be charitable with people when we talk about what is the extent of the gospel? What are gospel issues? Because remember, the, the thing with the Gnostics, what makes it confusing is they use the same language, but they mean different things. And so if we're going to examine whether someone is or is not a false teacher or does, believes or does not believe false things, we can't just look at the vocabulary that they use. We also have to examine what they mean when they say that. And we want to be charitable with that, but we also want to be very sure of where we stand so that we don't fall victim to those kinds of false teachings as well. But again, I want to emphasize charity on this because a lot of times what happens in our world is we hear someone say a term or we hear someone say a certain phrase and we didn't like how that sounded. So this person is now woke and they're a false teacher and we're just going to throw them under the bus and never listen to them again. That's not very Christian. As Christians, we want to be charitable. We want to have a restorative conversation with someone to bring them back to faith. Let's say they said it and meant it and they're preaching something false. The goal of the Christian is not to condemn somebody. The goal of the Christian is to restore that person back into right relationship with the body. That's the goal. That's why even church discipline exists. It's to restore fallen people back into a right relationship with God. That's the whole purpose. So that's what we ought to do even when we're having these kinds of difficult conversations with people who we maybe once thought were solid and have now seemed to fall astray. 
Because remember, this appears more true than the truth itself. So we shouldn't be surprised when people who we think are very good teachers fall victim to this kind of thing. What's important though, with all of this stuff, is not to turn something that is a may in scripture into something that is an ought. And what I mean by that, and this is uh, not my language, I think it's either Kevin DeYoung or Greg Gilbert, whoever wrote that particular chapter of the book that they co-wrote together. <laughs> so I'm quoting one of those two. Um, but the argument that's made, and I agree with it wholeheartedly, is that when you turn maze in scripture, be charitable, love your neighbor, bless people with your wealth. When you turn maze that a Christian could do into oughts that a Christian must do, you have, you have, turned, you have now exerted a new kind of law onto somebody and you're saying that they're guilty of sin if they're not doing this in the exact way that I have said you should do this. There are many maze in scripture and we shouldn't be concerned that a Christian is woke if they embrace those maze because they're wealthy and they wanna bless people with their finances and they wanna be charitable and they wanna start businesses and they wanna particularly impact poor people. We should not say that someone's woke if they do that. That's a may that could be embraced in scripture. The danger is when you say that that is an ought that all Christians should do. There's a a story that Jesus tells about this woman who gives all that she has. She gives her last two coins. That's all that she had to live off of. And the Pharisee only gives a part of his, uh, a part of his wealth or a part of his income uh, to, the, to the tithe offering. And Jesus says that the woman is the one who uh, is, is, is a great example of faith. How that often gets interpreted is that with Christians with their wealth, we must give away everything that we have. And every Christian must do this, regardless of how much wealth you've made. But if you look at the background, again, the historical grammatical hermeneutic of that text, what Jesus is applying to his disciples is that the reason the woman is justified in a way that the Pharisee is not, is the Pharisee has taught something as an ought. You must give this amount of money. And then he doesn't follow suit. But the woman is just trying to be obedient to God and gives away everything she has in obedience to what the Pharisee teaches. He's saying that the Pharisee has wrongly taught the woman and the woman has submitted to the Pharisee, not out of fear of the Pharisee, but out of fear of God in trying to be obedient to him. He's not saying that it's good for people to give away all their wealth. What he's saying is this woman has demonstrated that she is in submission to the teaching of the ruling class in Israel. When the Pharisees turned a may into an ought, the woman suffered and she gave away all that she had. But we're going to be exhorted as Christians, as critical thinkers, not to do that. Because there are many people who want to be obedient to God, obedient to scripture, and they will run with the odds and they will give their lives away and they will throw themselves into destitution. And God will honor them if they do that, if they're victim to that kind of false teaching. But that doesn't mean that we should insist that that is a good thing to do. We should be careful about those kinds of things. So the good things in scripture that we're called to do, to love our neighbors, to bless those who curse us, all those good things are things that we may do and things that we are encouraged to do, but they're not things that tell us that we're in sin if we don't do them. They're maze in scripture. We may do them. We may bless people with our wealth and our finances. But, but if we turn it into an ought, you're adding law on top of what scripture gives. So uh, in summary, if I was going to summarize the mission of the church, make disciples. And along the way, there are other important things that we can partake in, but none of them is the mission of the church. The mission of the church is to make disciples. If the church makes disciples and doesn't do anything else well, which some churches around the world are doing right now because they're in oppressed situations, they're uh, victims of uh, cruel governments. They're not alleviating social alms. They're, not, they're just trying to make disciples and live. They are completing the mission wholeheartedly. We could never say that they're not. And we who stand in more, uh, more easy conditions of life than those kinds of Christians, we have, we have the opportunity to have all of these things in front of us, all these blessings that God has given us. 
and we may bless people in many kinds of ways, but the ought, the only ought that we have in scripture is to make disciples. That's the mission of the church.